You're listening to Songs in a Strange Land, foraging in the landscape of faith, culture and creativity. Shall we start yeah. and start by saying hello? Hello, um, welcome. Hello, welcome. Um, my name is Peter um, and this is Ned. Hello. Oh, excellent. And um, I'm excited because as we, we were just saying before we started recording, we don't have a name for this podcast yet, so I'm intrigued to see what will come up yeah, at the, the end of it. What the purpose of this so, is. <laughs> yeah, so, so currently you know what this is called and we don't. Isn't that exciting? It's sort of time and space. Yeah. This is back to the future all over again. It's it is. With that. Um, yeah, I think um, if we just introduce ourselves and kind of why, we're, why we've kind of got together. Um, I'm Ned and I'm uh, an ordained minister in the Church of England. And before that I was a theatre director and producer and designer and all sorts of creative things like that. And um, and it's always been a real interest to me um, as I've explored both my Christian faith but also my passion for theatre and arts, that kind of crossover points. Um, and so, yeah, I just it would be great to have a conversation about that. And I know that there are several people who are also interested in that crossover that we know of, at least. So um, maybe we'll get them involved in the conversation as we as we grow. Uh, Peter, why don't you say a little bit about you? Yeah, so my name's Peter, and I work for a, a theatre company as a marketing person. So um, specifically, that's Riding Lights Theatre Company, who've got a, a kind of Christian background, a, a Christian ethos, um, but kind of have one foot in the, the kind of ch- world of the church, one foot in the world of the theatre and the kind of, uh, kind of secular stuff there. Um, so that kind of bridging that gap I guess doing marketing I sit on the sidelines of a lot of interesting creative stuff and see lots of stuff being created which is really exciting but it is quite fun to ponder what's going on Um, and equally having been involved in church having um, kind of done stuff as a worship leader and that kind of thing seeing how creativity impacts our worship Mm. in the broadest sense kind of fascinates me um, and I guess that also comes from a place of wondering if there isn't more that the church could be doing. Um, yeah. And I think also there's... Um, I, I was just thinking before we, we started, actually, about the shared... You and I both being a part of uh, community called Burning Fences here in York, which mm. also does a lot of that changeover between not necessarily theatre, but certainly music and the art scene um, here in York. And, and faith and having those conversations where there are people who are disillusioned or disappointed with the church and just feel like it's empty of, of things, um, which I think we'll get into in the conversation we'll have today, but, um, but are also kind of exploring stuff and there's something that keeps bringing them back to this question of kind of what God is or, or what the spiritual aspect of their art is. Um, so, actually, let's start with that quote then, which we've decided to chat over, uh, which comes from uh, a book called Empty Space. Uh, I really recommend it for anyone who's interested in uh, arts and, and kind of spirituality. It's by a theatre director called Peter Brook, who's uh, just been absolutely at the cutting edge of theatre for the last oh, half century or so. Um, and in his book, he looks at four types of theatre. Uh, the first one is called deadly theatre, which I'll talk a bit about uh, later on. Um, the second one's called holy theatre, probably one which we'll focus most on. 
and then there's rough and immediate uh, which i doubt we'll get onto um but it's a really good book um outlining stuff the quote that um actually stands sits hangs hangs is the proper word hangs at the top of my stairs um was done by a friend of mine tim who is who stencils art and he, the quote is this the stage is a place where the invisible can appear that's a really interesting quote Mm. And I always go up and I always look at it and I go, oh yes, that, that's so true and it has so many different meanings. So why don't you start, um, as, as someone who's, well, at least read the book ten years ago and hasn't read it since, yes. um, what, what's that quote, you know, just on its own, separate from the book and all of that sort of stuff, what does it say to you? Yeah, well, uh, the first thing it, it says to me actually is the top of your stairs because <laughs> it's the place I encounter Going it to the most. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically when I uh, when I see that quote, I think I really need a wee. <laughs> um, yeah, more seriously, the um, the the thing that it it kind of immediately talks about to me is that idea of kind of discovery and. Um, reading more into actions because theatre places so much um, kind of emphasis on the nuance. It, it kind of boils down human interaction and lets all that stuff come to the surface. Um, and I think that's what, the, just as a gut reaction, the, the quote reminds me actually, once you start to observe stuff, once you put things in that theatrical environment, the meaning becomes heightened and you, you reach through to something else. So that stuff that's in everyday life, all those sort of, you know, call it subtext or subtleties in interactions and stuff that we so often just skip over because it's in everyday life, all of a sudden kind of gets in a microscope. Or yeah, a or yeah, absolutely. Um, it reminds me, there's that thought that um, goes along with a, a kind of Catholic mass where every action has a particular symbol um, and I guess that might be an interesting thought as to whether that's useful, whether that's sometimes quite deadly mm. um, because things become over-laboured. Yeah. But at the same time, it also seems to help people move through to, to connect with that story that's going on mm. in a, a moment of communion. Yeah, Peter Brook, uh, later on in the chapter, talks about um, our search for, search for expressions of those deeper things that you were talking about. Um, and he interestingly uses the example of Coventry Cathedral, which um, it was bombed during the war um, and uh, was caused in, you know, f fell into rubble. Um, and so they had to rebuild the cathedral. And, um, and it's a really beautiful space uh, designed to express, you know, both that history of being broken and being destroyed and new life. And, and all those sorts of things. So he says this, in Coventry, for instance, a new cathedral has been built according to the best recipe for achieving a noble result. Honest, sincere artists, the best, have been grouped together to make a civilised stab at celebrating God and man, culture and life through a collective act. So there is a new building, fine ideas, beautiful glasswork, only the ritual is threadbare. Those ancient and modern hymns, charming perhaps in a little country church, those numbers on the wall, those dog collars and the lessons, they are sadly inadequate here. The new place cries out for a new ceremony. But of course it is the new ceremony that should have come first. It is the ceremony in all its meaning that should have dictated the shape of, of the place, as it did when all the great mosques and cathedrals and temples were built. 
goodwill, sincerity, reverence, belief in culture are not quite enough. The outer form can only take on a real authority if the ceremony has equal authority. And who could, who today can possibly tell the tune? Of course, today as at all times, we need to stage true rituals, but for rituals that could make theatre-going an experience that feeds our lives, true forms are needed. These are not at our disposal. The conferences and resolutions will not bring them our way. And there's that sense in which, you know, we all know in church, many of what we do, which are kind of traditional and kind of looking backwards, do seem threadbare, don't they? They just seem like everyone's saying, oh, they don't really satisfy, they're, they're boring, they're, they're just movement for the sake of movement. You just dress up in those vestments for the sake of it. And um, all of it is meaningless. Actually, you need to tap into what's real. Um, yeah, I but, think yeah, I think we get that a lot with <clears throat> with modern worship music as well. Um, I think there's been a bit of a move, or almost a bit of a split, actually, in terms of people who really like their kind of their worship music to be very wordy, to be mm-hmm. full of scripture, full of things that they know are rock solid truth. And then there's the kind of the camp which is a bit more down that they kind of want stuff that easily accesses their emotions, their feeling, their connection mm. with the story. Um, but often the criticism is that those words become quite threadbare, become fairly surface, that they're, they're designed for an easy access that anyone mm. can sing that phrase and it, it will apply to them. But the, the cost of that is a a deeper meaning, a, yeah. a deeper connection with the story. Mm. Um, and I think there's, a, there's that similarity with theatre as well. I mean, the amount of times we go and see something like Shakespeare, um, Shakespeare's probably the most obvious, is, is it just becomes words and they become, you know, famous, famous sayings, to be or not to be, and they just kind of run through it and everyone's really satisfied, oh, they've got to be or not to be. And, um, and, um, and actually that, that sense of authenticity in the in the expression becomes barren or it becomes, as Peter Brook describes it, deadly. It becomes that sort of just reanimating a corpse is one of the phrases he uses in Empty Space. Um, and it does feel like that um, when, we, when, we, when we talk about worship and we talk about theatre, there is that desperate need for authenticity and it's at those moments of authenticity where actually there is something deeper and, and hidden that's being revealed and being to use a theatre term, which uh, and uh, to use a religious term, which Peter Brook uses in a theatre theatrical term, is is incarnation. You know, making putting flesh on those things which we all know and that will tap into our, you know, our psyche. I guess, um, and that's you know that's where the invisible becomes visible. Yeah. So I guess the the key question is then how does creativity how does something which might be a fiction it might be staged and put on it might be um actions which have been planned and prepared something which is has a level of performance or fakery is too strong a word but is is has something which it isn't in that moment um it's been planned how does that creative element then get us through to something more real yeah. Um, I think the um, just as you were talking about in terms of repetition, um, there's Peter Book kind of explores what it means to be to do a rehearsal and the difference between a rehearsal and a performance. 
Um, and he's very aware, I think this is even before quantum physics proved it to be true, but you know, Peter Brook was very aware when he wrote Empty Space that, that an audience or a spectator does change an action. You know, it's that, you know, an action is impacted by whether it's being observed or not. Um, and the repetition in rehearsal would be, um, it would be wrong to, to assume that that's just learning the mechanics of movement and learning, well, at this point I then stand here and I then put on this voice and, I, you know, all those sorts of mechanical aspects. But actually it's about getting into the character um, and, and living and breathing that and responding and using those stimulus of the other performers and um, the atmosphere and the room and all those sorts of things to, to respond and to practice responding as, a, as the character so much so that actually those responses become second nature, that you become to become the character um, and that blurred line between actor and character just gets merged even more so that when you get into performance you can really tap in and respond truthfully to all the stimulus um, which means that even with the spectators all the dynamic that changes when you've got an audience watching and doing strange things like laughing at odd bits or 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 crying or whatever or going silent when it should be laughter um, actually to be able to respond as a character becomes you know, it's, it's the fruit of all that repetition in rehearsal. Um, and so the mechanics of it probably is part of it, but it's not fully it. Um, and I think that's the same with worship. You know, we can, we can stand up and, you know, talking from a priestly point of view, I can stand up and do a Eucharistic service and do the words and do the actions that I've learnt and, you know, elevation and all those sorts of things. Um, and that's really important, but... It's only the surface level stuff to, to help me tap into the kind of character that I want to connect with, the character obviously of Christ. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So would you say that we're almost, we're kind of putting on the character of Christ and in sort of, not in rehearsal, um, but we're, we're doing that same job as an actor of kind of rehearsing those actions, finding the, the things that have got truth and authenticity in them as we go about trying to kind of imitate Christ. Yeah, and then we're going to make mistakes with that, and that's part of the life of faith, of of being able to have, um, in the theatre it's the director's eye, but having one another, having having a, the, direct, the great director and your Holy Spirit talking to us and, and, and giving us that, that was truthful, that seemed, you know, that was living, that was dead, um, and we need one another to do that. So in our lives, we, yeah, we try to imitate Christ, we try to, to embody that character, you know, incarnate him, as it were, be his body, and it takes other people to, to do those challenging things of saying, that rings true, that doesn't. Um, just, just remembering that this quote from uh, his, uh, his chapter on deadly theatres, it says, Deadliness always brings us back to repetition. The deadly director uses old formula, old methods, old jokes, old effects, stock beginnings to scenes, stock ends, and this applies equally to his partners, the designers and composers. If they do not start each time afresh from the void, the desert and the true question, why clothe at all? Why music? What for? A deadly director is a director who brings no challenge to the conditioned reflexes that every department must contain. 
And, and I like that use of the exploration of the desert and that true question, because I think that's where we are in the church, is that sense in which we're in a desert place. Exile is a big image that's going right across, particularly the fresh expressions, and as we try and wrestle with all that, um, that that we're kind of putting those fresh questions in, those questions that's always been there, but are trying to go back to that void, to that desert place, to that, you know, to quote Hosea, that first love. Um, and it's at that point that we have to respond and, and yeah, regain that, that sense of what it means to be Christ, um, what it means to, to live that life in a culture which is very sceptical about it all. Mm. So, yeah, it's very difficult to, well, it's very difficult in theatre, it's very difficult in art and, and in church to, to discern which way is going to lead to deadliness and which one's going to lead to, to life. Mm. Um, and one that we, really, as Christians, only really do through the spirit. But as a theatre, it's very difficult to have those conversations. Yeah, I guess that's why creating within a community and doing, um, kind of imitating Christ within a church um, as, a, as an example of that, or, or working in a similar model, is really important because you get those external eyes of people to to see things you don't within that moment of creativity people who give you feedback on something you've made or written or, or whatever that is um, and that can be really encouraging it can be really challenging but if it's done genuinely it's because they found a moment of truth in there um, which you may or may not have spotted yeah. and again when you're um, doing church and attempting to imitate Christ, hopefully people will encourage you and, and spot that too. Um, I think there's um, an important thing, because you, you kind of likening it to an ensemble where the director isn't just the person who tells people where to stand and where to move, which is a form of leadership which the church always falls into in terms of particularly ordained people. But when you think of the church much more as an ensemble, where there's flat leadership, but there are certain roles designated. But the director within an ensemble is someone who merely just brings people back to a narrative or to, a, um, to, a, to an understanding of the character and is someone who observes and you know, does that checks and balances. Um, and, and I think the church can do that, but that requires an understanding of authority, a place where we, we as, you know, flat leadership, we as all the leaders um, and the, the creative people involved in that need to look to, a director just says, we agreed to have this story, to tell this story, we need to know that story, um, which we do through, through scripture, I guess. Um, and we've got the character of Christ, which we, we wrestle with and we try to discover more and more um, as we, we do the creative act. Um, but the ensemble also requires a deep trust between the members and a deep understanding that they are they've got this common goal as it were um, and I think that's where the church has really fallen um, over the last hundred years or so 200 years is it's lost a sense of that trust between different people um, mm. and I think society's lost it they've lost an understanding of how we relate to one another um, and and I think 
well, when I was researching my dissertation on on this very topic, um, I found very, very, very few ensemble theatre companies in Britain or in Western Europe. Um, they they use the term because it sounds great, um, but actually, when you kind of scratch below the surface, there is clearly a hierarchy. There is still very much a quick turnaround of performers. No one really commits their life um, full on in relationship. Mm -hmm. And all of it comes from a product focus rather than a relationship focus. Mm. You get into Eastern Europe and all of a sudden there's something really buzzing. And, um, and so it comes down to that relationship which we, we need. Yeah, I think it's a really tricky dynamic, isn't it? There's that um, bit of wisdom that you can't create via a committee um, or kind of even democratically it doesn't work. You can't take a decision mm. to the group and go... Well, okay, who thinks that we should um, paint the background of this blue? Hands up. Okay, who thinks we should paint it red? You, it, if you start to break things down in that sense, it often falls apart and you end up with something very uninspiring. So there's an element where we seem to need individuals. We need that conviction and that vision from people to then get to, to reach beyond, to, to start doing that act of reducing mm -hmm. things down um, to get to, bo to kind of boil the best stuff to the surface to really bring out the flavour, which then... Um, sorry, I really mangled the cooking mm -hmm. analogy. <laughs> but the, where is where I originally started that, you, you reduce things down and you bring out the best in the flavour, and that's what starts to make the yeah. invisible visible. Um, and you just... You, you need an individual in that on some level you need to be interacting and finding the authenticity yourself and mm -hmm. um, so i think that that is a real and challenge and that again takes trust that yeah you, know, you, you talk about that individual i think that's absolutely important we're, we're scared of we're scared of individualism we're scared of being lost and it's you know we're now talking deep theology here about trinitarian models of community that that the trinity is the perfect model of community because they're all one they're all can you know each part is one god and we cannot separate one from the other they are just one entity and yet there are distinctive persons in it mm -hmm. um, but to bring those out too much would be heresy to squash them down together is heresy it's this kind of beautiful balance yeah. and stance that, which is community yeah and that trust of handing something over to someone to say go and do this work on this bring it back to the community with that vision and that individual perspective but we we trust you to do that without then seizing power without becoming a, an emperor within yeah. this and with if it. we talk about a you know, community that we share you know burning fences which is which is a creative community with very strong individuals, um, strong individual artistic voices, um, as well as some who wouldn't describe themselves as artistic. Um, and we just had a weekend away, and um, which I had the privilege of leading, and there was an, a collective expression on the Saturday evening, um, which was meant to culminate in this big kind of ritual of burning a fence, which is from which the, the name of the community comes from. Um, and uh, and so the way that it worked was I I, I wrote some text um, based on on a, a book and a piece called Wojciech, um which really was kind of just it's very personal, very gut wrenching, very real and honest. 
So I wrote texts about experiences in community and um, cut off the text into fragments and handed it to different members of the community in private and just said, create something from this, respond to it, you know, pre present this text in whatever way you see fit. Um, and that was a big risk because, you know, I personally invested in the text and my, the ultimate creative act is to hand it over, to sacrifice it and to say, you know, pass it on, to move it on, to let go of the power. Um, and, you know, with various success, you know, you, Pete, did a, a great piece on, on kind of blindfolding. The text is about hiding. Um, and it was really great to suddenly participate in something which I originally wrote and it has then been changed and added to and adapted by someone else. For me, the original author to suddenly interact with it and engage with it was just a really interesting, you know, it's that kind of back and forth of creativity, which mm. was great. And others did some fantastic stuff. So when you handed me that text, um, the two things that kind of really struck me was that kind of hiding, but, but purposely hiding yourself idea that was in it. And to me, that seemed to come from kind of external watchers again we're back to audiences aren't we but you project um how other people around you see you and judge you and that then kind of makes you close down but in a very internal way um so without trying to explain and recreate that piece just by describing it which i think <laughs> it will be silly the the idea of the piece was to give that get that dynamic and get people to think about what they hid and kept inside because they were scared of, of mm. being watched. Um, the tricky thing was, I guess I had that text and after thinking through and, and working out how, what I might do with that and how people might interact with the performance element, I then kind of realised actually it didn't have an ending with the text you gave, it hadn't. You, you'd kind of bring people to this moment, and then they wouldn't know where to go. You'd just be kind of cutting them off short, which actually is a a terrible thing if you if you've brought people to a space of being vulnerable, of starting to acknowledge their fears about how they're seen and how they're judged. Um, so therefore. I had to try and work out, well, what do I take people on to? And because this was all prepared, you know, within maybe 24 hours, mm -hmm. kind of maybe two days at the, at the, that I've been milling it over, it felt like the, the ending for that, which was a kind of, uh, a kind of taking this blindfold off that I'd given people and saying, kind of, hide, don't hide anymore, go and tell people not to hide. I don't know whether that was the right considered ending or would be a, a thing that I would say held true in the long term, but was kind of did did the job for that moment and hopefully interacted with the rest of that piece. Interesting, because after that, after that event, uh, Paul, who's another member of our group, um, was building the fire just near where you were doing your, your bit. Um, and he had no idea what you were doing, um, but one of our group left your piece and went up to him and as they passed him as he was building the fire on his own she said to him you don't have to hide anymore and he thought that was the most wonderful thing and it really 
struck him as something that he needed to reflect on. And as he built the fire, he reflected on it. Um, and that was really interesting. So I think that was the right thing to do. And in terms of that ending, all of the pieces were really focused on getting us to that the burning of the fence, which was burning all of those things that we put up and and entering in and committing to to community, to relationship, um, which which I have reservations about, but I know that that is ultimately what's going to satisfy us in, in this particular instance, in this particular community, is that risk of relationship, that risk of commitment, because it's only through that relationship that all the other stuff that we can tap into this deeper stuff and, and express together rituals that will satisfy us. Um, but the problem is, is you can't force that on people. There's a guy called Joseph Myers who puts it in a pretty strong sense, which he says, if you force intimacy, that's rape. And, and it's that thing of actually you can't force people to be in that deep relationship. Um, and one really interesting thing, um, just to finish to talk about this weekend away, was talking to another member of our group, and they were saying about that they're wanting to commit. They're wanting to commit to other people, but that commitment needs to be two-way. They need to be able to trust that their trust is not going to be misfounded um, because we're pained too much by that. Um, and that's a really interesting thing of in the creative act, and to try and wrestle with it of, of how much we trust to be vulnerable and to be really vulnerable, not fake vulnerable, which just brings deadliness and, you know, um, too many people try to be. I'm, I'm thinking of, um, oh, what's that comedian? Um, oh, he, he used to do Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Um, oh, um, Simon Armitage, who yeah. does a very yeah. confessional, very intimate, but very public... Yeah. stories which That's, are presented as from his own life I, I assume most of them are true yeah, but you don't know I guess so and it's um, and, and also you know, someone we both really um, we really like uh, of course is um, oh now his name's gone Stuart Lee Stuart Lee that's I was right. just thinking half an hour why is Stephen why is that kind of Stuart Lee I was just thinking half an hour and it, uh, Stuart Lee's only just turned up at least we got Jesus in before Stuart yeah, that's, Lee yeah. there's always a mistake yeah, we, we make um, but, but both of those are very confessional very deep very vulnerable with Stuart Lee there's a real play on that um, but with, with, with the Simon Armitage stuff I always feel really unsatisfied by it um, and, and there's loads of performances. Um, Sarah Kane is a big one. Whenever I see that piece, I don't like her pieces. And people say, oh, it's because you're, you're challenged by it or you're up to it. And I kind of can take that on board. But most of it is because actually it doesn't, as you, you were talking about my piece, there's no transformation. There's no kind of working through that. It was just, I liken it to just showing an open wound and just going, look, isn't it disgusting? Um, Actually, what we want to do is celebrate healing. I think that's a deeply human thing, is we want to celebrate the hope of healing, at least. Um, yeah. And most of most of the, particularly 90s and early 2000 um, artwork, was that sharing an open wound, when actually what we should be sharing are the scars, which, which kind of both show the pain and the, the discomfort and the difficulty and the wrestles and all those sorts of things, but also that kind of express in some way a hope of healing and a sense in which you can you can be safe because open wounds are, are contagious <laughs> and 
and particularly if they get infected and and that's always difficult of just seeing vulnerability in this open sense of I don't care if I get more sick actually we we deeply we deeply care about healing mm-hmm. in some mysterious way yeah I yes I mean that's there's obviously absolutely a, a resonance with the, the scars of the kind of resurrected mm-hmm. Jesus where the scars don't disappear and somehow the fact that they're they're there are both a mark of salvation and the fact that death has been defeated but they're not a a they're not quite a wiping away mm-hmm. of it they're not a um a rem- they're not cutting that out of existence um, there's the process has gone mm-hmm. through um, with the, we probably there's a whole other that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. we won't start that one now because we've probably been going on yeah. for about half an hour um, the one thought I did have though that, that kind of mixes with all that um, actually is that importance of an audience which is what mm. we've been talking about and touching on in, in a few moments with that burning fences piece it's great to hear that that moment of that Paul then encountered mm. after it, and I do love the way that with that style of performance where it's free reign and mm. people can see it from different perspectives, that stuff ripples out, and occasionally you get a snippet back to you as of how your someone else's perspective saw it differently, but mm. there was there was it was still part of a larger truth, still part of something powerful for them. Um, and I was speaking to another member of the group who was sort of on the fringes of it so they the way it worked there it was kind of in a, a bit of a glade there was kind of a path with trees either side and people who kind of wanted to take part in the performance were invited in um, but there was then the possibility for audiences of that performance people who were further off and I I don't know if I ever spotted them but only really discovered this after talking to a couple of people um, so one moment during that, um, you know, it only lasted maybe three to five minutes, this thing, but one moment people were encouraged to shout kind of hide, hide, everybody hide, and get, getting people to, it's as much a way of getting them to engage um, by getting them to repeat it and shout it louder. Um, but then there were people who were who were on that audience fringe who, when that was shouted out, they then hid and were kind of sucked into the performance. They started off as an audience and just interested at what was going on, but the performance kind of bursts out of its own bounds and brings them in, and then they feel compelled to hide, um, or they or they exit it and they pass on something they've found to someone else as. as um, Paul then heard and that affects them and that that idea that as being part of the audience we were essential to the performance and we were invited to become part of the performance in a slightly safer way you don't you can choose your distance you mm-hmm. can choose how much you want to interact with it um, but there is there is an open invitation to say come and be part of this mm-hmm. um, and again, I think that's a really important part of the the invisible becoming visible. Yeah. It's it's offering that chance to to come into a community, which I guess community is an invisible idea. You don't see those bonds between people, but it's an invitation to come in and to discover them, to make them real, to make them visible for you as well, and to find out why they're important. Yeah. Um, and just sort of just zoom out on the whole thing. That, and that, that's equally true with church. 
God might not be visible, but inviting people into the congregation, into the worship, is a chance to say, you might not see these bonds, you might not see these relationships and why they're important, but come and come and find out. Yeah. Come and see why they are real, why they're visible yeah. for and, us. And, and take the risk. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll just finish on this quote, um, which finishes this chapter on Holy Theatre, which just really ties in with what you've just said. Um, in the theatre, the tendency for centuries has been to put the actor at a remote distance on a platform, framed, decorated, lit, painted in high shoes, so as to help to persuade the ignorant that he is holy, that his art is sacred. Did this express reverence, or was there behind it a fear that something would be exposed if the light were too bright, the meetings too near? Today we have exposed the sham, but we are rediscovering that a holy theatre is still what we need. So where should we look for it? In the clouds or on the ground? Yeah, leave it on a question. That's always a good good idea. No one knows whether we've got an answer or not. Please, write in. <laughs> yeah, we give you an email address, but we still don't have a title. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, we, we might have a title and therefore an email address, which you can write in and make comments. But um, in any way, um, it's been great fun actually chatting to you. Yeah, hopefully um, if you've been listening to this, you have enjoyed it and found it interesting and managed to keep up with the rambling. <laughs> um, goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Songs in a Strange Land. Please send any comments or questions to songsinastrangeland at gmail.com. fun yeah so how do you think it went uh, yeah I, I really liked how we deliberately um, went down alleyways um, to get lost because actually no one really wants to know the destination no one actually wants to know any answers our society really hates answers so I hope that most of the people listening left with more questions and more confusion you know like they're running around uh, headless chickens into alleyways, into a maze, because, you know, that's where they really want to be. They really want to be in dead ends. Yeah, true. And I think that wasn't helped by the fact that the second you started reading quotes, all my brain could think about was what cut of royalties would put like the man have we surpassed kind of five percent of the work where where we, I mean I just switched off at that point, I'm afraid. Yeah. I mean I think I think that's absolutely fair. I think we, we need to be aware that um, we shouldn't. We should. We should just plagiarise. I mean, most of what I said was ripped from from other people. Direct quotes. I just. I wasn't holding a book. Oh, um, right. So you know, the royalties were much more than you you imagine. Um, I, you may as well not have had me and actually just invited other people to come and speak. Because that's that's the truth of the matter. But you're you're quite useful. I mean, like like condensing all those other people because this room would get crowded. Essentially. It's a bit like having a parrot, you know, you've heard all these people, you've heard their quotes, you've, you've absorbed their intelligence, their wit, their, their insight, and then you repeat it. I would take that as a compliment, except for I really hate colour, um, and um, 
and actually, you know, the cage was really inappropriate. Um, just because you think of me as a parrot, there's no need to put me in a cage um, and just wheel me out every now and again to, to recite some famous person who you couldn't afford to, to bring into a room with you. Um, but there you go, that's my use, I guess. Yeah, it was sheer fear. I find you were nerving in the room, you tend to flap. I figured a cage and some seed and a little mirror was the best bet. It's for my own safety. Mm. 